what's your memory like? Can you, can you think back to the world a year ago? My memory can be pretty hazy. And as I was looking into these things, thinking about how things can change and how some things don't change over the course of a year or more, thinking about the world a year ago. A year ago, Ebola emerged again in West Africa and ravaged many countries. Russia invaded the Crimea and supported a rebel uprising in eastern Ukraine. Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 disappeared over the Gulf of Thailand with 237 on board. ISIS became a thing, emerging as a new force of terror in the Middle East, occupying much of Syria and Iraq. Germany won the FIFA World Cup. A new escalation of the conflict in Israel led to the death of 2,100 Palestinians and 71 Israelis. Malaysian Airlines Flight 777 was shot down over Ukraine with all 298 on board. And the National Party secured another three years at the helm in our general election. So a year on from, from that, is the world a better place? Have we grown as humanity over the, the last year? Are we more compassionate? Are we more generous? Is there more peace? in the world than there was a year ago? Is there more unity in the world than a year ago? Is there more love in the world than there was a year ago? Well, if we think about Africa and Ukraine and the Middle East, you probably say, no, nothing's better. But that stuff's a bit beyond us, really, isn't it? What about you? Are you you any different than you were a year ago? Are you more loving? Are you more generous? Are you more compassionate? Do you think any differently than you did a year ago? Do you live any different than you did a year ago? Do you honestly think that you have grown as a person, grown in your relationship with the Lord, in the depth of your relationship? Are you more like him than you were a year ago? The church in Corinth that we read of in the Bible was a community that was struggling to grow, that was struggling to demonstrate any real love for each other. They were a church that was blessed with knowledge and was blessed with the power of the Holy Spirit in very demonstrative ways. So it's something that Paul commended them for, knowledge. And the power of the Spirit. And yet, they were divided amongst themselves over matters of leadership 
and Paul describes them as immature. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Do you think that is descriptive of just the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago? Or is there a challenge in there for us as well? How mature are we really? Are we one, united, loving, mutually submitted community here? Or are there factions amongst us too? Are we mature believers living in the revelation that we have received Or are we still really only infants who can only digest milk? I know the answer that I want to give to those questions. Yeah, I want to say I'm mature and ready to digest and live out anything that the scriptures might have for me. But am I really? As I pour over the scriptures seeking out new knowledge Am I reaching for something that is beyond me? Am I searching and reaching for things that my mind is not renewed enough to understand and my heart is not sanctified enough to receive? I've heard it said here a number of times, talking through with people after a service, that, yeah, that was good and all, but I'm looking for real meat I want to hear meatier things, new stuff. It's like we're preaching on the same things over and over again. I want something more. I want something deeper, something meatier. There may have been a time when I thought that way as well. Maybe you think that. Maybe you feel that you are mature enough for deeper things and that you're being held back because you're not being fed what you need. A question to offer in response to that mindset, which may well be true, is that beyond actually understanding the principles that are spoken here or in any other environment you might be discipled, is beyond the understanding of it, grasping cognitively the concepts, are you actually living in the revelation that you believe you understand? Are you living out the simple revelations that have been preached here on love and unity and mutual submission? The themes that the Holy Spirit has specifically led our elders to focus on over the last seasons. Should we really move on to meatier things if we haven't first truly appropriated the milk That he has poured out for us. I would hate to think, you know, 20 years, 
25 years along in my faith that I'm still a baby. Surely that much time in the faith, I should be eating the most uh, delectable four-course meals of theology. But if my digestive system spiritually has not developed to a point to digest that properly and receive it and, and allow it to do a work in me, I'm probably going to make myself sick. If in 2015 we haven't grown as a community in our love, in our unity, and our submission to each other, how can we really consider moving on to what we might think are meatier things? Surely if we can't nail love and unity and submission, we're not ready for anything else. In fact, throughout Scripture, Christ, particularly in John, makes it so clear that love needs to be the foundation for everything. And that if we were to try and receive and dig out things without a foundation of love, it will distort whatever it is that we're, we're digging up. Paul addressed the Corinthians not as people who lived by the Spirit, but as people who were still worldly. And he resolved to preach nothing but the unadorned gospel while he was among them because they were not mature enough for anything more until they had fully grasped everything that the gospel entails and were fully living in the truth. And I wonder if we're any different. I'm confident I'm not different. I am constantly fighting against an unrenewed mind a mind which wants to grasp an understanding of it and can then tick the box when I think I understand what that means without actually allowing it to do a work in me. So I can amass knowledge, but not change in any substantive way whatsoever. What is the point of that? Do you want to understand God's plan for the end times? I do. Do you want to know who the whore of Babylon is? That has fascinated me for years. Do you want to understand the feasts? Do you want to understand how the covenants revealed in the Old Testament, uh, how they apply to us today? Uh, do you want to understand if you're the bride of Christ? Who are the virgins? What is all that stuff about? Do you want to understand that? I know I do, and that's great if you do. These are all truths that the Holy Spirit has been given to lead us into. So we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into them. We need to let him lead us into the matters he knows that we are ready for. That we are mature enough to receive. These are his mysteries and only he can actually reveal them to us. As Paul articulates in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, shall we turn there? First Corinthians chapter 2, let's read from, from verse 6. 
We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who was from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. The Holy Spirit leading us into his mysteries, revealing spiritual truths, with spirit-taught words. The Spirit is our teacher. Did you know that I don't decide what I what I speak on uh, when I share on a Sunday. I have no idea what's going on with you. I have no idea what it is that you need. So I'm not making some kind of arbitrary decision about, okay, this, that, or the other thing. I don't speak on what I'm interested in. I receive my preaching assignments uh, from eldership. The elders, faithful, prayerful people. Seek the Lord. And in their prayer times together and their intercession for us as a church family, the Spirit confirms with them the themes, the issues that he wants to work on in us. And from that, I get things to speak on. Things that he has been revealing in me as well. And he gives me understanding of the scriptures as I meditate on those with him. But I don't decide what you hear from me. This is what Greg and I and the elders, this is how we get our direction for what to teach and preach. It is God who led us to focus on the things that we have been bringing each week. And that is the way it should be. And surely that is what you want it to be like. Surely we all want our discipleship to be led by God and not by our own interests and curiosities. God has laid out a plan for our discipleship in his word. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty six, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Further on in 
John 16 from verse 12, Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. That is Jesus' plan for our discipleship. Spirit-led, Spirit-revealed. And like Paul, Jesus had so much more to share with the disciples. But it was more than they could bear. It was more than they were ready for. They lacked maturity. But he promised them, and he promises us, that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth, all the truth that he has for us. And the Spirit does. He leads us into the truth that we are ready for. The Spirit has made it clear the mysteries that he wants to reveal to us as a community at this time. And have no doubt his end goal is not that we would understand theology. His goal is to see us living in his truth. He will have more for us when we have truly grasped what he has already given us. The Lord is not going to move on to new things if we haven't actually appropriated and lived in what he's already given us. These have been foundational truths. Without them, whatever structure we build up is going to fall down because it needs to be founded on his love, on the revelation of his love. It needs to be founded uh, in unity, a community bound together by the love of God. It needs to be founded on submission, first to him, but then mutual submission to each other as we recognize the spirit of Christ in each of our brothers and sisters around us. And we honor the spirit in each and every one of us, which will build even greater unity and will build even greater love amongst us. But if we can't get that right, anything else we build up, any other teaching, theology we chase after, it will fall down. To move on to other things without him is a path that leads to confusion, to distraction, and not to growth. And it is also an arrogant path that assumes that we know better than him about what we should be learning, about what we need. Knowledge can be great. Paul had knowledge, but knowledge can also be a vanity. Paul commended the Corinthians in chapter 1 verse 5 that they had been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. 
But then he admonishes them because their knowledge led to dysfunction and to disunity, not to wisdom and growth. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Paul writes, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. I believe that we need knowledge, but we need love more. And the knowledge we need is the knowledge that he leads us to, that he reveals to us, the knowledge that leads to life. Anything else is folly. And I'm speaking from experience on this. So many years chasing after knowledge. Things that that pricked my curiosity, things that intrigued me. I chased after intrigues, conspiracy theories, things that I considered to be deeper theology beyond most other people. But I'm so onto it and I'm so switched on that these are the mysteries God has for me. But it was my flesh that was curious. It wasn't anything the Lord was leading into me, leading me to. And so, as you can imagine, I didn't grow as a believer. I didn't become more like Christ. I became more judgmental. I became more arrogant. I found myself distancing myself from others who weren't at the same level as me. They weren't at the same level as me. I was a much greater idiot than any of my brother's sisters were. I was, I was top on the charts being an idiot chasing after knowledge is folly but chasing and reaching out for more of the spirit there we will find the true knowledge that he has for us knowledge that will change everything this this revelation is something that God can and does choose to reveal to us as he sees fit. Sometimes it's independent of our effort. Think Paul, for example, on the road to Emmaus, on the, on the way to persecute Christians. He wasn't being spirit-led at that point. It was his flesh and his unrenewed mind that was leading him to atrocities. But at that point in history, God stepped in and hit him with revelation of who he truly was. And that changed everything. God can do this without us doing anything at all as he sees fit. But we can't rely on that because God has called us to seek after him. He said that if we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. He can do this himself. And Paul prayed for the churches under his care that they would receive it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 to 12, Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I read that fast. We need to notice a couple of things here. Paul wasn't praying just for knowledge. He prayed they would receive the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding that the Spirit gives. And he prayed for this revelation, not so that they would just know more, but so that they might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Knowledge has a purpose. And if it doesn't fulfill that purpose, it is a vanity. It is meaningless. It is meaningless if it doesn't produce righteousness in us. It is a vanity if it doesn't sanctify us to become more like Christ. And it is God alone who knows the knowledge we need to produce that work in us. David's well-known psalm, 139, lovely psalm. David talks about this revelation of God who knows everything, who sees everything. A God that you can't hide from, who is everywhere. Very end of that psalm, he finishes with this really poignant prayer. Search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a beautiful prayer for our discipleship. A prayer that we need to pray. Calling out to the one, the only one who truly knows us. The one who made us. The one who sees our thought life. The one who knows us better than ourselves. The one alone who knows the plan that he has mapped out for us. Calling on him who can see into our heart and into our mind and asking him to examine us. See what needs to change. See what needs to grow. And Lord, lead me into that. Because he alone can do that. Do you really think you know what it is that you need in the spirit? I hope you know better than I know myself. But I don't want to trust in myself for this. The stakes are too high to trust in my knowledge of myself. The stakes are too high to trust in where it is I think God wants me to go. That terms of being sanctified into the likeness of Christ, the stakes are too high to trust in my understanding of who Christ is. I need him to show me the way. I need him to reveal the truth that I need when I'm ready to receive it. These are spirit-taught words that unveil his mysteries. And without him doing the revealing, without him doing the teaching, 
I am not going to really learn in a way that transforms me, that grows me. So I need to put aside what it is I think I know about discipleship and about about what I need and allow him to reveal what it is that I need. And it goes for us as a church. We need to let him lead us into his truth. We need to let him lead us the way that he wants to lead us as well. As I've shared before, I'm pretty typical. Uh, as a Kiwi, in my rejection of authority, I'm a very independent person. I like to make my own way and do things my way. I don't like being told what to do. And uh, that can have some pretty serious consequences for my relationship with the Lord. And also for the way I engage with church. Because church is God's idea. Leadership is God's idea. Spiritual gifts, it's God's idea. God leads people through other people. He has always done this. It's one of his things. He raises up weak people, people that are broken, people that have failings, inadequacies, and he leads through them. And their weakness, whatever it is, their inadequacy glorifies him, making it clear that it's only him that can accomplish what he has done through them. That doesn't mitigate the fact that he leads through these people. He gives them authority. He gives them gifts. Resources them to lead his people. And I've struggled with that because of the failings in my personality. Because of my rebelliousness. I've told God the ways in which I will allow him to lead me. But it's not his way. And the issue there for me boils down to pride. Pride, which is at the root of so much evil in this world, so much that is wrong with me. Pride is the opposite of humility. And everything I read of my Lord, of the Jesus that walked this earth, was the most humble man ever. And this is what he's calling us to. It's humility that enables us to follow him, to submit to him. It's humility that enables us to be led and influenced by others. It's humility that enables us to see what God has placed on others and receive the blessing from that. Oh, I need humility. We all do. We need to let him lead us through the leaders that he raises up among us. We need to listen to his voice. And to discern his promptings from among those that come from our flesh and unrenewed minds. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that the only way God will disciple you is from whoever's holding this microphone. 
I imagine that might be actually one of the least ways he does. And I want to continue to encourage you to seek the Spirit personally, to learn to discern his voice, and to test everything that you hear from this microphone or any other one. What's different about this environment is this environment isn't just you. It's not just you. God is not just speaking to individuals. He's speaking to a community that he has gathered together. And he has a plan for us as a family, as a part of the wider family, the body of Christ. So the messages we are bringing here is not just about your personal discipleship, but our growth as a body. Even so, test all things. God has promised him, promised us that when we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. And when we find him and know him, we will come to know his will. But when it comes down to it, the question remains, do we really want his will for our lives? Or are we pretty happy with what we're doing on our own? This is all about following his pattern. Doing things his way. I promise you, his way is the only way that actually leads to glory. That leads to life. That leads to transformation. Well, at least transformation into him, into his likeness. Any other path will lead us away from him. If we do, if we want his will, then we need to let him lead us. Let him lead our church, lead our discipleship. And with our minds submitted to him, they will be renewed. And he will teach us. And his will will be revealed in us. And then we will understand all that he has for us. And in this daily surrender, we will come to truly love God with all our heart and with all our mind. Let's pray. Lord, your word is pure. Your word is truth. And I pray that your word this morning would find fertile ground in our hearts. Anything that was not of you, Lord, I pray would be quickly forgotten. But I pray this word, Lord, would accomplish everything that you have purposed it for. I pray your Holy Spirit would continue to remind us of these things, to stimulate this thought in our, in our minds, renewing our minds as we go. I pray that we would be more sensitive to the voice of your Spirit, discerning your voice from among the others. I pray we would carve out space in our heads and our hearts and our lives to seek more of you, to spend time with you. I pray, Lord, you'd, you'd confirm what it is that you want to lead us into that you would stimulate a passion for those things and anything that is a distraction, that is trivia, that we'd be able to let go and recognize it for what it is. 
And I pray, Lord, our thirst for you would outgrow thirst for knowledge or anything else, believing that in you we will find all the knowledge we really need. I pray, Lord, for encouragement for those who have been struggling in their discipleship, feeling like they are not growing. I pray you would lead us, as David prayed, into the way everlasting. That you would comfort us with the knowledge your presence is with us, something that we can experience. And that a year from now, a month from now, we would be different people than we are now. We would be more like your son. We thank you, Lord, that this is your will. This is what you want for us. And I pray you'd help us to continually submit to that. In the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.